to episode 64 of the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sargent. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. We're getting closer to Thanksgiving. I can't believe the year is almost over, but we're going to be reviewing a movie that you and I had seen. I had seen this movie in Sundance. You had seen this movie recently, and we're going to be talking about Passing. It's Rebecca Hall's new film on colorism amongst African-Americans that lived in Harlem in the 1920s and 30s. Really interesting. And to, I mean, talk about race and pop culture, right? On Brown and Black. This is the type of things that we should be talking about. If you look at one of the through lines of everything we've ever talked about on this show, and part of the reason we do this show is it's about identity. There was a great quote in The Nation where uh, someone described the film as, and, and I'll read this to you, it says, a film adaptation of Nella Larson's novel dramatizes the mercurial and sometimes dangerous consequences of a person's performance of self in the public. And I never thought about that before because, you know, we, we do radio, we do TV, you know, you have sort of a persona, you're sort of on, you know, and in life you're on. But when it comes to identity, you, there is sort of a performance, like, and I never quite thought about it that way. So it really made me pause. All right. But before we get to the review of Passing from Rebecca Hall, starring Tessa Thompson and Ruth Nega, um, Mike, I wanted to talk to you about what's been going on in politics as of late and how that affects almost every single category of our life. This is a big, huge deal because politically, Democrats are getting massacred at the voting polls. They're they're seeing their presidency, their moment in the political limelight here in the United States start to erode so much that we don't even know if there's going to be a Democratic Party by the end of all of this. And this is scaring the bejesus out of me, Mike. Well, Jack, it's very, very frightening. And the only thing I disagree with about what you said is that you said without Trump. I don't think it's without Trump. I think Trump has galvanized them. And what we see happening locally in all these recent elections is that these people, that the local politicians there, the local Republicans have taken a page. They know how to appeal to their base. Even the ones who left Trump, they can appeal to them through fear. They can appeal to them through, you know, The Democrats want to make your children feel guilty about the past. They're coming after your children. I'm here to stop that. No more critical race theory. Okay. Forget all the other talking points at the Republicans and what you're seeing across the country. This is a plan. This is organized. They are much, much, much more organized than the Democrats are. And that's what's really scary. Right. So it the, the principal message that I feel has really reversed the way the circumstances in the country politically is education. Never did I think education, the thing that everybody laughed at, the thing that no one wanted to really talk about, the thing that no one wanted to fund or resource, 
No one gives a shit about education until now. And a lot of that has to do, Mike, is that white families understand that if critical race theory, which by the way, is not something you teach a five-year-old, it's essentially something you learn in law school, but they're starting to hear rumblings that teachers and board members at most of the schools in the United States, what they want to do is they want to inject accuracy about uh, enslaved people and the era that brought us to racism in George Floyd. They don't want their kids to know any of this stuff. They want their kids to be innocent. Uh, America's history is beautiful. What are you talking about that we lynched people? They don't want their they want their kids to live a lie. They want their kids to live a fantasy. They want their kids to grow up thinking just like them that they're superior, that these wasps are the the, the reigning majority of the world. And Mike, they're doing everything and anything in their power, including voting, to get this done, to make sure that education is white education, not multicultural. The thing they're doing here that's both smart and insidious is that, you know, how do you raise, how do you continue the legacy of racism? How do you continue the the prejudice? How do you continue the hate? How do you continue setting things up so this ideology the indoctrination exactly you do it through the children the reason people were getting on board with black lives matter who were not black who were not brown is because these people were educated because these people learned in school because these people saw what happened with george floyd now if you can obscure the past the recent past and then you can completely rewrite history That is what America has always done. Everything about America in many, many ways is an obscured and rewritten history. So the idea that they're banning Toni Morrison, the (laughs) idea that they're banning uh, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, the idea that they're banning, and here's the irony, is they're banning the idea that white people have treated black and brown people so inhumanely just so they can have a justification to could do it in the future. But Mike, what's going to happen if Biden gets his way and makes sure that critical race theory is taught in every school in America? What will happen to white parents? What will happen to these parents? They're going to go like ballistic, man. I mean, will it be worse than the last four years of the Trump administration? Will it be worse than the January 6th riots, Mike? How bad will this get if Biden gets his way? And that's a good question because it's sort of a you damned if you do, you damned if you don't. He's getting hamstrung the same way uh, Obama was getting hamstrung. Every time he tried to do something progressive, they take the cut a piece out, cut a piece out, cut a piece out, cut a piece out to what ends up limping its way to the finish line is only a fraction of what it was supposed to be. And nobody's happy. So same thing. If, if he, anything he does succeed doing, the backlash will be even stronger. And unfortunately, I think if you've read the art of war, you know, you win the battle before the battle starts. It's mind blowing that the Democrats could be so caught so off guard and have be so off message and have be so slow, you know, to even realize like there's somebody like a mansion in their ranks. Uh, it, it does not bode well. 
Well, we'll have to wait and see, Mike, but this just does not look good. I happen to think that Republicans and Republican parents are going to get their way. And unfortunately, our kids are going to be stupider than previous generations, man, because they're going to double down on this American white fantasy. Well, you see, and here's the real danger of that, and that leads us into the next topic, is if you're a, a young black kid, young brown kid, and you grow up, we all know the contributions of Latinos have been erased from American history. The contributions of blacks, you know, with the exception of got Latino Heritage Month, Black History Month. Like right, you at least have over. the 1619 Project. You at which least they're banning, a, which they're banning. But at least you have it. We don't even have anything. We don't have a museum. We don't have, we're not in the textbooks. They're wiping us out of mainstream media. We're not in movies. We're not in anything. We're invisible, Mike. You at least got something. But what about us? Well, Jack, how do you really feel about it? <laughs> I can <just laughs> <didn't> tell. <laughs> it's already they've thrown a bone. Now they're like, all right, we're taking back the bone. And uh, yeah, we, there's no freedom of speech. And uh, no, you don't need to read real history because children will feel bad if they know what their ancestors did. So may as well just continue having them treat black people who've always been treated badly, badly and not even know just the history of it. But what happens, Mike, if black people amongst black people, depending on their shade of color, treat themselves badly? What is your identity now? If you haven't learned, if you haven't learned to have pride in your past and your contributions, and you have to believe that all superheroes are white, all heroes from history, with the exception of a couple, are white, you know, what is the identity you want to assimilate to? Who do you want to be in that kind of cultural environment? And that's what brings us to this movie review of Passing. Seeing the movie Passing because of what it deals with. And as we mentioned, it's about two women who are light skinned, who both could pass. But one decides to embrace her heritage, the fact that she's black, the fact that she's a person of color and, and get very involved with being black in the 1920s in Harlem. And the other person passes for white because she's half white and she then lives a lie. And here's my question. There was a point in my life where I realized I was, some of my behavior, some of my personality was to try to fit in in a white world, to try to show white people I'm different. You know, and, and I didn't realize it till I, I started to get older and realize what I was doing, you know, and maybe why I was doing it. And I'm just wondering if there was ever a point for you where you, you really had to reconcile with who you are beyond wanting to be accepted by white culture. My mom knew from very early on that there was a, a division amongst ethnicities, races in the United States of America, except it wasn't as cruel. It was systemic, which means it was insidious. It, it was hidden from public eye. It wasn't until Floyd that we all kind of just started talking about this taboo that we have all known to be racism. So for me, my whole environment, my whole context was about trying to fit in into white spaces because as parents, you want the best for your children. And as her child, as her only child at that moment, she wanted me to survive and to do well. And she knew that 
she was going to do everything in her power to make sure that I fit into those white spaces because that's what gave me the biggest and best opportunity and chance to survive in the United States of America. Jack, not Juan. My middle name is Albert, not Alberto. I speak English first, then Span and Spanish second. My mannerisms and everything about me is American. Now, is it black? Is it Asian? Is it white? Listen, it's interesting because I think the default of someone acting with composure, intelligent, is a white default characteristic. If any other race or any other ethnicity uh, copies it, then we're copycatters. We're trying to be white. We're trying to pass off as white. We're trying to approximate and befriend whiteness, correct? Which is bullshit because then that means that, Mike, because you speak the way you do, then, then you're a white man as opposed to a black man or an Oreo cookie, which has been used here and there to describe a person who's white on the inside, black on the outside. I feel that we have to do that. I don't have any regrets whatsoever in me adapting to a white system to be able to thrive and survive and be able to make enough money that we couldn't in just Spanish language spaces and Latino spaces, that the real success and the real money and the real uh, aspects of living a good life was me having to go to white spaces. And so I did, and dude, I live a great life. I live a great life and I have no regrets for it. And anybody who says, no, you gotta be able to do it exclusively and only bearing your Latino flag, Take that, bro. Screw you. So you really have no thoughts on the topic is what you're saying. No, nothing, nothing. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's very interesting what you're saying. And what really struck out to me is, you know, Spanish as a second language, you know, and when you are a Latino, Spanish is a second language. I can relate it to being black where, you know, when you're in white spaces, you speak a certain way. But then when you're, you know, with your boys, you know, you, you talk a little different, you know, you, you use a little more slang, you're a little more loose with your colloquialisms. And today they call it code switching where, you know, this is who you need to be to get where you want to go. And for myself, I took it uh, to a certain extent. I took certain things for granted. My ability to speak this way. Absolutely. People on the phone, on the air have often thought that I'm white. But over time, it made me realize, just like what you're saying, this this default, and it became, you know, I, I, my defense when because I used to get told that all the time. Oh, you sound like a white man, you know. You sound white. Why are you talking white? My defense or my my response was realizing that I don't sound white. There are plenty of white people who don't sound anything like me, but I sound intelligent. So what you're saying is to sound intelligent is to sound white. So then, who's really been brainwashed? And that's really the brainwashing, I think, that that's in place where, you know, I could think of uh, the director of, of Black Panther and Creed. He's a brilliant, brilliant director. But if you talk to him, you listen to him talk, you listen to him in interviews, he talks in a way that white people would not necessarily give him respect because he doesn't speak, quote unquote, white or American English. He speaks. It's clear he's a black man when he talks. And he's no less intelligent or articulate. He just speaks in the way he does. And it strikes me that only now 
it has come to this point where you're not a caricature. You know, there's always been this Latino caricature. You know, I don't know nothing. You know, yeah, like uh, the West the, Side Story. Yeah, accents. West Side Story. Right, <laughs> right, right. 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 They same. might as well put on Speedy Gonzalez characters. <laughs> exactly. To talk, you know, right. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> but they do the same thing with blacks too. You know, I mean, you look at characters from, let's just say, the late 20th century. Uh, a lot of times, that's how blacks were. So I think it's begun to change. Thinking about passing, I think about most black actors cannot pass. Well, not you if know. you're dark black. Well, that's if you're what dark I'm saying. Black, you can't. But you can't. if you're, but what happens when you're biracial, Mike? Obama. Well, that's well, there it is, and you have to decide. Like Derek Jeter. I mean, these famous people who are biracial: white mother, black father, black mother, white father. What do you do then? Well, that's what I'm getting at. I think that those are the people who are now. At this point, you know, like Rashida Jones, white mom, black dad, but she's become her own thing. She has defined it. Same thing with Rebecca Hall. Rebecca Hall. Rebecca Hall is the writer, producer and director of Passing, this new movie starring Tessa Thompson and Ruth Negga based on the 1929 novel of the same name by Nella Larson. Title refers to African Americans who had skin color light enough to be perceived as white, the practice of which is referred to as passing. And in this particular story, it follows the unexpected reunion of two black women, high school friends from the 1920s, one lighter than the other, whose renewed acquaintance ignites a mutual obsession that threatens both of their carefully constructed realities. Pardon me, I don't mean to stare, but I think I know you. Claire? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to find out the history of the blonde you've brought along. She's a girl from Chicago I used to know. Princess from Chicago. Things aren't always what they seem. Bobby Dan. Lots of people pass all the time. It's easy for a Negro to pass for white. I'm not sure it'd be so simple for a white person to pass for color. So you haven't ever thought to? What? You ever thought of passing? No, why should I? Now I have everything I've ever wanted. This is my husband, John Bellew. Does he know? But you dislike Negroes, Mr. Bellew. No, 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 not at all. I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> Extraordinarily beautiful. I suppose. Your life is perfect. Have you ever thought of what you'd do if John found out? I'd do what I want more than anything right now. I'd come up here to live with you. You think they'd be satisfied being white? Who's satisfied being anything? for something or other aren't we you had told me about this film when you saw it at Sundance and you were you were like I don't want to say anything Mike but powerful film I I, I want to review it when you get to see it 
And so it's months later now, and I did get to see it. And now I understand what you're saying. It is a powerful film. And, and it's very interesting who Nella Larson is, because I read up on her after seeing the film. And she came up during the time of all the other famous Black writers of the time. So she was part of that, you know, Langston Hughes, that group, that time period. Uh, and she did the Harlem Renaissance no, during the Harlem Renaissance. Exactly that. And so she she's an interesting character in herself, but she had a very similar upbringing in that she was biracial and she went through some of this passing, this code switching, they went through different things that I, I suggest you read up on her life because we're talking about this film. But I really thought this film it's shot in black and white and it's in uh, aspect ratio uh, of that would have been appropriate of film at that time. And I thought it was very effective, but now I want your review, Jack Rico, because you've been waiting months to tell me what you thought of this film. <laughs> no, no. What I wanted to do is I really want to ask you, let me ask you a All lot right. of these curious questions that I have. Okay. Right, number one, Mike, Rebecca Hall. You've seen her in so many movies, she was in the uh, Iron Man movies with Robert Downey Jr. She's been in Vic Vicky Cristina Barcelona with Woody Allen. You've seen her in so many places. This woman, to me, has always been white. Not only white, white, but like British, European white. All of a sudden, she makes this movie because she found out. Right. That a percentage of her family and her bloodline is black. Now that she knows this information, how does that information shape her? And you as a black man, will you accept her if she says she's now black? Here's how I see it. And here's my understanding of what happened. She not only found out that this grandmother of hers was black, but this person had to hide it. When you have something that you may be sensitive to, let's say animals, okay? When you, when you get an animal, when you get a dog, if I said, hey, Jack, look at these awful photos of how they're treating dogs in China just before they eat them, I don't think you could look at it. And not that you would have looked at it before you became a dog dad, but it changes your perspective. Now it's very close to you. So to me, I think that, that, Realizing that this happened in her own family, realizing that that racism is something that is part of your bloodline, part of your DNA, part of what has gone on in your own family, it, it, I think it changes your perception on it. It clearly struck a chord with her. So would I consider her black? I, I completely support her uh, as a storyteller. No, 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 no. Don't try that on me. <laughs> Don't try I'm that on saying, me, Mike. I'm just saying. I don't Put think your cojones on. Okay. Fasten your, your pants, buddy. Is she black or not? She's mixed. That's it. Okay. She's so mixed. she's not black. She's mixed. That's a, that's she's a mixed. different thing. Now, I'll ask you a question, okay? I'm going to play devil's advocate with you. You found out that your heritage is a lot more of one thing than the other. I'm more indigenous. You're more than indigenous anything else. than yes. anything else. Now, has that made you want to discover those yes. roots more? Yes. Okay. And now, um, what do you consider yourself to be? Well, always, I always thought that I was, you know, whatever being a Colombian is. And right. 
it's most like mo- like most people that don't study history, that don't understand race, that don't understand you know the way societies are built and the infrastructure and systems that go with it. And when you don't know those things, you just take for granted that Colombian is a fact, a noun, a real thing that is in question. Now with knowledge, there is no such thing as a Colombian. That's something that we created as a story and we created those words to honor a sensibility that a group of people in this particular region geographically throughout the world uh, made their own. And they call that Colombia. And they have all their customary traditions and traits and, and culture. I thought I was that, Mike. But I'm not that. I'm much more than a Colombian. I am an American Indian. And when I say American Indian, I'm talking about North America. The Americas, South America, Central America, North America. I am an American Indian, along with being half Spaniard from the conquistadors. When they came to South America and they raped all their women, all the indigenous women, they had mestizo babies, which is a mix between Spanish and indigenous to create a mestizo. That's who I am. And I'm in particular an Inca. And from that Inca, I'm either uh, Arwak or there's another two, uh, Tairona, and there's like a Caribbean one as well. So out of those three, there's a language, there's rules, there's a constitution that they've created, there's all these beautiful things that they constructed throughout history that have now passed away with time. And yes, I am curious to know the true sort of birth of my ancestry. Where does it begin and how does that affect me today? And I think I'm a, I'm a work in progress. And I think most of us that are, that are discovering this, like Rebecca Hall, we're going through an odyssey. Where is this taking us? How do I then identify myself to other people? And will that have an effect in the way I speak, the way I live, the way I speak, the way I think? What I think is interesting here about let's just say the journey to, to understanding your heritage and then how that then becomes part of your identity. I, I can relate, you know, as, as a, you know, second generation West Indian, you know, my parents, both their parents from Barbados, you know, but Barbados was one of the Caribbean islands that was colonized by the British. So clearly there's white in my blood or I wouldn't have hair on my chest like I do because all of my black friends would make fun of me because I do. So, all those things combine into me at the end of the day. What am I? I'm West Indian heritage, but, and definitely in my family, I can relate to the food and, and some had, you know, strong accents, but I consider myself more American black. And I'm, I'm wondering if Rebecca Hall, whose mother or whose grandmother she found out was actually African American and Native American, you know, besides being Scottish and Dutch, I'm wondering, what do you think would happen if she decided, okay, now she's going to do a Native American film? Do you feel she's exploring her heritage or do you feel she's just mining, you know, these cultural identities she she Oh, well, that's really the, right I think it could be both, Mike. I think once you see something and you're an artist and, and you're living off of your art, then why not just infuse the realization and discovery into your art and hopefully get paid for it? And be able to tell a unique story of something that happened to her 
um, that maybe other people like myself could relate to. Well, that's what you said, too. You said none of this stuff happened to her. She didn't have, but it happened to her grandmother. Her grandmother had to hide her identity. So it, it is interesting. And I enjoyed the film. Uh, did you like the film? I really enjoyed the film. Did it entertain me? No. But was it extremely inquisitive? Did it arouse my curiosity? Did it make me separate my understanding of blackness in today's world versus the 1920s? And how colorism, I thought, was just a Latino thing. And to then find out that colorism is also a black struggle as well. So I, I like you, I really enjoyed this film. I thought the black and white aspect worked well. I thought the actresses really did a great job. Ruth Nega, I, I think is, is, I think there will be talk at Oscar time for some of the performances here. Yes, I don't know. I think that the script itself isn't strong enough. I think it could have been a lot more engaging, maybe even more dramatic. It was a slow burn. It really is about the dialogue. It's really about interpreting these two characters' emotions, how they're part of the same world, yet not. And it's complicated, and it's confusing, and it's Hard to understand why one would want the other. And it's not until the end of the film that you have a better sense of how African-Americans in the 1920s, as much as they were celebrating themselves through the Harlem Renaissance, through art, culture, writing, music, films, still didn't feel black enough to be able to feel a part of that. That's it for this 64th episode of Brown and Black. If you'd like to support this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Your help will allow us to be heard by many more people. This episode was edited by Joshua Torado. You can follow our comments and opinions on Brown Black Podcasts on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you on the next episode of Brown and Black. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.